This is the recording of the speech I gave this morning, Shabbos Day, Parshas Tetzava. Shabbos, as we have since October 7th, we've been discussing the Matzav in Eretz Yisrael. On Friday night, Laura Halacha, Shabbos Day, in relation to Agdara, Drash, and Machshava. The segues are more tenuous when it comes to these parshas in relation to Halacha, but at least with regards to Agdara, Drash, and Machshava, they are a little bit easier to find to discuss Eretz Yisrael, the Matzav in Eretz Yisrael. The lay I would like to start today is by discussing a Balaturim. I think most people would agree that the Balaturim that they meet in this commentary on Chumash is not the same kind of a Balaturim that they would expect to see given the Arbatum, right? Hanti Kisandra. If you learn the Torah, you would expect the Halachist. You read about Turm's commentary on Chumash, you find so much paparaz, the Chachma, so many gematrias and the like. <coughs> it's sort of similar, if you would, to the commentary of the Rashbam, right? You see the Rashbam and bring down the Teisvis, you see the Rashbam's commentary on Babasra, and Psachim at the end, and you think you're going to see one kind of a Rashbam, and then you read his commentary on Chumash, and you see somebody very different. I don't know whether or not the Balatum is well studied in the in the world. It seems to me that the Balatum is probably, even if it's on the page of many of the Kreskadelis versions, probably among the least studied of the Rishonim's commentaries. But the Balatum in this week's Sadra on the very first Pasuk, the very first Balatum is perhaps the most famous Balatum in all of Chumash, if not certainly in the top five. The Balaturim famously says, why is Maish Rabbeinu not mentioned in Parashat Tetzaveh? And the Balaturim gives two possible explanations. One is based upon a Gemara in Magus on Yud Aleph and Aleph. The Gemara tells us that Kilas Chacham Afilu Al-Tanai That when a Talmud Chacham, when a righteous person makes a, a curse, it comes true even if they did it conditionally. And the Gemara there gives two examples of this, one about Achitoyfel and the other one about Eli. The Maestro with Achitoyfel, the background is Achitoyfel, the Pasuk tells us in Shmuel that Achitoyfel was a tremendous, tremendous Miyayetz. He was the Baal Eitzah for David HaMelech, and he was such a genius, he had such incredible advice. It was Kasha Yisha Belekim, it was like you were asking the Urbitumim. It was that good. When you asked Achitoyfel for advice, he was able to mamish, give you exactly what will have to be done. And it was as though Kaviyofi were asking the Rebbein Shalom. The, the story goes that Achitoyfel was David's advisor, but when Avshalom decided to go on his rebellion, ill-fated rebellion against David, Achitofel joined up. It may very well have had to do with the fact that Achitofel seems, according to Chazal, to have a familiar relationship with Bathsheba, or he was his son-in-law, his uh, grandson-in-law. So perhaps there was a connection, a familiar connection as to why he was upset at David and for why he joined the rebellion of Avshalayim. Regardless, Achitayvel joins forces with Avshalayim, and the Pasuk tells us that 
on David's way out, when David was running for his life. So certain people joined him in a good way. Certain people cursed him. He had different people who he dealt with later on after he comes back. One of them was Hushai Arki. Hushai was another advisor of David, and Hushai was going to come along with David on his runaway. And David says, you're more valuable to me if you stay here. Tell Avshalom that you've become a, a part of the rebellion. And maybe he will use you for your advice. And if it's at all possible, try to subvert the advice of Achitaifel. And Kachav, David Melch is on the run. And Avshalom asks Achitaifel, what should I do? What should I do? What's my next move? It's like you're asking the Banashalel. So the Mazik tells us that Avshalayim asked Achitoyfel, what should my next move be? And Achitoyfel says, listen, David Amelech is right now at his weakest point. He hasn't been able to reconstitute himself. He is running. He is on the run. Now is your time to get him. Take 12,000 crack troops, 12,000 commandos, and go and catch him. Because this is your best shot to get him. Before he's able to reconstitute himself, before he's able to figure out how to and plan and manage this challenge, get him. And Avshalom listens to the advice and says, okay, I hear. And then he says, bring me Hushai also. I want to hear what Hushai has to say. Hushai, another advisor of David, maybe his reputation wasn't as amazing as David, but he was also a famous advisor of David's, and he wants to hear what Hushai has to say. So there's a Pasuk, that Hushai says, you know, in like a more uh, yeshivish approach, when you see in the, somebody doesn't want to disagree with another rabbi. So he says, you know, so Hushai says, he's mamish the greatest meyites. He always has the greatest advice, but maybe we could say that he didn't get 100% right. And why, says Hushai. So Hushai backs up what he has to say. He's not going to just say Achitoyfel is wrong. He explains. He says, I think that David right now is wounded. He's a caged animal, right? Right now, he's going to be his most ferocious ever. Right now, David Amelech, if you go near him and you're not 100%, 1,000% prepared, he's going to absolutely destroy everybody. Now's the time, says Hushai, to gather up a contingent of troops. That's going to be it's going to be an enormous troop and we're going to go and get David in a proper military way with a huge army. Not the way Achitoyvel said we're just going to go after we're going to try to get David in a quick operation and boom, then everybody else is going to scatter. No one's going to be left to fight for David because David will be finished. Avshalom listens to the advice and decides to go with Hushai. And labeling David to, of course, go across the yard and reconstitute himself, figure out how to manage, and eventually to come back and retake the throne. And Achitoifel didn't wait to see what happened with Avshalom's rebellion. The Pasuk says that he saw that his advice was not listened to, he doesn't wait for the rest of the story to take place. He goes home and he commands his family. Tzavel basically tells, gives him his final will and testament, and he hangs himself. Now he knew that when David and Malchus would come back, it was a good chance that he wouldn't be alive. 
because obviously he had sided with Avshalai. But he all, and he knew that if his advice wasn't listened to, and Chushai's was, that the eventual outcome was clear. David would reconstitute himself, he would figure things out, and Avshalom was done for. And he didn't have to wait to see the rest of the story. So therefore, he goes home and he kills himself. The Gemara, though, gives the backstory. The reason that Chitoifel uh, ends up hung, says the Gemara, had to do with a Maisa. As we know, David and wanted to build the base Hamikdash, and he wasn't allowed to. Hashem said, not for him. It was going to be for his son to do. Why wasn't he allowed to do it? Because his hands were full of blood. And David Amelach was so desirous of building the Beis HaMikdash that he laid the foundations for the Beis HaMikdash. And as he was digging, says the Gemara there in Marcus, he hit the subterranean caverns and there was going to be waters that threatened to go up and submerge the world. And David Amelach was very concerned. What should he do? So he had an idea that he was going to write the Shem Amafarish, put it on a Klicharis, even though it was going to get erased, but maybe it would stop the waters. David Amelach didn't know are you allowed to write the Shem Hashem that's going to be erased by the water? So he asked, if anybody knows, please tell me the halacha. And says the Gemara that David said, if anybody knows and doesn't tell me the halacha, then they should be hung. They should be yechonet. Achitoyev was standing there. Achitoyev was David's great advisor. Thanks to himself the following. And says the Kavachayim Madav that the Shem Hashem is erased when it comes to a Saitam. And so why is it erased? Because Hashem says, it's worth it for my name to be erased for Sholem Bayek between one man and one woman. Ben Ishla Ishta, it's worth it for my name to be erased just for one couple. So Lachas Kamvakam Sadachi Toifel is it worthwhile for HaKadosh Baruch's name to be erased to save the world. So Achitoyevel screams to David, it's mutter, you can write the shame of a first, don't worry about it. David does. Says the Gemara, Achitoyevel ended up being Yechanek. Why? Because Kilas Chacham Afilu Al Tanai Hibah. That's Maisa number one. Maisa number two is in relation to Eli. Eli HaKoyin, the Koyin Godel, and Shilai. He had the Numashars, right? And if you recall, Shmuel's mother, Chana had said that if HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave her a child, he will be on loan to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he'll be given to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he's going to be there his whole life. And Kachava, when he was weaned, she brought him to the Mishkan and Shiloh. And Eli was there, and the boy goes to sleep, and he hears something. And he goes to Eli, and he says, Eli, did you call me? And Eli says, no, I didn't call you. And again, it happens. And again, he goes to Eli and gets Eli. Says, no, I didn't. You know, we would think it's our kid coming to wake us up so many times because he's having a nightmare, right? But the, it happens a couple of times. And Eli's like, listen, to, he says to the to Shmuel, my kid, listen to me carefully. Because Eli understood this is probably Dvar Hashem. He says, the next time the voice comes to you, say, what is it? What can I do? The next morning, Eli goes to Shmuel and he says, if you don't tell me every single thing that you were told last night. And Shmuel tells him everything he did. But says the Gemara that Shmuel's two sons, Yoel and Aviyah, they didn't go 
in the ways of their dad. They didn't go in the ways of Shmuvalehochu, his sons didn't go in his direction, they didn't go in his veg. And they went after bribery. They were taking bribes. The Gemara Shabbos Nandal tells us, don't take that literally. Over there, the Gemara gives a whole list of people. They're wrong. And one of the examples is they didn't go. They didn't take bribes. What does it mean? So I'm arguing different amount of what it means, what it means. But whatever it means, it wasn't on the level of Shmuel. Why the Gemara understands in a max is a kiyom of kilas chacham afilu al tanai he ba. Says the Balaturim, that's what happened here. Meish Rabbeinu in next week's Sedra says to Hakadosh Baruch Hu that you should forgive the Jewish people, and if you do forgive the Jewish people. Fantastic. But if you don't refuse, if you refuse to forgive the Jewish people, great. If you're not going to forgive the Jewish people, then take me out of the book. Hashem does forgive the Jewish people. But kill us. Therefore, since we say that you wrote, so we go to the parish before that was already written. We take Meish Rabbeinu out. Why? Because it comes true to some degree, even if it's Al Tanai. This is the approach of Baal Turm to explain why Meish Rabbeinu is not found in Parshat Second approach of the Baal Turm is in the fact that Meish Rabbeinu, according to the Medicine Shemais in the beginning of Shemais, Loses the kuna because he's masarim because he refuses to take the job in such a degree of taking the job of mantle of leadership, like the Mark tells us in Brachas and Lamedal, you're supposed to have a little bit of siru. You're not supposed to automatically jump for something when somebody tells you go down for an amen. If you're going to jump immediately, it's like well, wait, wait, slow down. You're like a, a food that you know has no salt, right? But if you if you masarim so much, you keep on saying no, 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 so many times. So then you're like a food that has way too much salt, right? It's like mom is too much. It gets not edible. You're supposed to have a little bit of modesty. Like, this is not really for me. I'm not appropriate for it. But if they insist, then you eventually take it. So too over here, says the Balaturim, based upon the Medish there in Shmois, that Meish Rabbeinu was Messiah. Because Rav says, take the job. Meish Rabbeinu says, no. Since to take the job, he says, no. He says, yeah, that's good. Power is not going to listen to me. But hang on, I mean, the Jewish people are not going to listen to me. He has excuses, excuses. And final excuse was Shlachna be at Tishlach, right? Let Aaron Akrain go go and be the and, and, and be the thing. I don't want to do it. So, Vayichra Af Hashem and Moshe. Hashem gets angry at Moshe Rabbeinu. And Aaron Achicha Alevi. Aaron, your brother's good with the job. He's going to be your Navi. You're going to be the Alekim. All of that comes as a result of Meish Rabbeinu Sirim. He refused to allow the the he refused to follow the direction, the command of the Benishlam to take on the mantle of leadership of the Jewish people, and therefore created a spot for his brother. His brother is not going to become his second in command, and he was going to take on the high priesthood. He was going to take on to be the Kohen Gadol. Meish Rabbeinu had an agmas nefesh. Says the Baal Tumi had a big agmas nefesh about it. Right? We know he was able to serve. Here for the first seven days, but that's it. Whether or not Moshe still didn't have Kren, 
and didn't pass it on to his descendants, or whether or not he didn't have a din of Kayan at all. It's a machlag is there and We're not getting into that now. But the idea that Moshe Rabbeinu had Agmas Nefesh, the fact that he had lost the chance to go Lufnaib Lufnim, the fact that he had the chance to do the tourist item, all the things that John Vakayan Gadol, that Moshe Rabbeinu had a big Agmas Nefesh. So therefore, in this week's parasha, we we're dealing with all of the uh, vestments of the Kayan Gadol, all of the things surrounding the Kahuna. Therefore, we take out Moshe Rabbeinu's name as a way of showing that this really bothered him and really hurt him, the fact that he had lost the opportunity. And the truth is that the, the rationalist side of anybody says, okay, very nice, nice Pshatim, but the reality is Moshe Rabbeinu is also not mentioned in Sefer Bereshis. So the answer to that is, well, obviously Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't born yet. And if you're looking for references to Moshe Rabbeinu, we have the Gemara, the famous Gemara tells us, Right, Moshe Menatar Minayin, Esther Menatar Minayin, right, Mordechai Menatar Minayin, Mershachar is going to be next week, Sedra, right, Esther of Master Astir, and what was Moshe? It was back in the beginning of Rashi's, right, Bishayim Lubasim, Yom Veva Esther Shana is Moshe. The reality is, we can understand Moshe Ben is not mentioned in Rashi's. That would be a little bit too unbelievable. After all, he wasn't yet born. But the truth is, Moshe Ben is not only not mentioned in Parshat Tzav. He's also not mentioned in Parshas Eikev, Parshas Rei, in Parshas Shreft, in Parshas Kisetz, and in Parshas Nitzav. He's also not mentioned. What would the answer about Turim be over there? I'm not sure. Perhaps he would say that those are not so fundamental. After all, Moshe Rabbeinu is talking there in the first person. He's sort of um, obvious that you don't need to you don't need to mention him. I'm not hundred percent clear, but in any event, what we see from this Balatur is that for the last thousand years, it comes to Paris the Tzav, everyone's talking about this Balatun. Everyone's saying, where's Maishu Rabbeinu? Where's Maishu Rabbeinu? Where's Maishu Rabbeinu? Makes it Maishu Rabbeinu more present in this week's Sedra than he is in any other Sedra. It's almost like, you know, Mechias HaMolek, right? We want to be forgetting HaMolek. We have to be erasing the name. And every year, Paris Zohar, we're being Zohar, it says, if you want to forget about HaMolek, you ignore them. Like you, the, uh, does anyone know the seven nations? What happened to the Girgashi? What happened to the Chibi, the priest? No one knows anything. No one thinks about any of them. But the Amalek, we're thinking about. Why? Because every year we're being, we're being Marcha the Shrine. Every year we're erasing them. Every time we're mentioning the lack of Maishra Abenu's presence in the Barsha is our way of bringing him back in. We're bringing him back in in such a big way. What I want to discuss today, my segue, is effectively whether or not Hashem is present in the modern-day state of Israel. Where one stands on this question is indicative, is evident in the way people behave in relation to their feeling, their davening, their charity. All of that is dependent in part how much one sees the Yad Hashem in the modern-day commonwealth of the Jewish people in the land of Israel. On the one side of the equation, one has those of a more Haredi bent who say, we are a nation that is Melumet Benisim. We are a nation that has experienced the miracles. We know what a miracle is. A nais, like the Nisim in Mitzrayim, like the Nisim at Kriyas Yamsuf, like the Nisim in Tanakh, we haven't seen an ace. 
what we've seen is a Jewish commonwealth reconstituted by people, many of whom were not only not Shem Torah mitzvahs, but were very anti-Shemir mitzvahs, were very anti-studying Torah. Where is the Nisim? Where are the Nisim Guloyim? Where are the manifestations of things that are miraculous that subvert nature? We don't see it. More than that, on the furthest extremes, you have those who go even further, like the Satmarav wrote in Al-Gulava, al that the reconstituted commonwealth of the Jewish people and its success is really the Samach Mem. If you don't know what Samach Mem, the Sitra Achra, the Gemara says to Reish Lakish, his name, the Gemara tells us that who Yetzirah or who Malach HaMoves, who Samoa, right? This is the, the, the this entity that plagues us. It's all one entity, comes with various different manifestations. But perhaps the success of this commonwealth, of the Jewish people, that is currently constituted in the state of Israel for the last 75 years, is his doing. I'm not sure if I should say what I'm thinking I should say, but maybe I'll say it. Um, the Saad Marav, when, when the, we would have Bechiris, when they would have elections in Eretz Yisrael, he would go to Eretz Yisrael to try to convince people not to vote. One time he went to the Bechiris was before Pesach, and he saw the placards on the Pachavilim in the in the streets they were saying it's a mitzvah to vote Gimel. The Ger Rebbe says a mitzvah to vote. I think it was Gimel, right? Aguda, whatever Dagat, or whatever the, that kind of a group was on the whichever banner was at that time. And Samar saw the Ger Rebbe. And he says, Ger Rebbe, I saw in your name these Pakshavilim saying mitzvah to vote Gimel. I'm asking you, it's a mitzvah like Matzah? And the Ger Rebbe said, no, it's a mitzvah like Marar. That isn't what I was actually going to say. That's just a prelude, perhaps. But what I was thinking maybe I should say, maybe I shouldn't say, I'm not sure, is another Misa, a Misa with his son-in-law, the Edom of the Imre Emes, who was the representative of Ger in the Knesset, Itchemeyer Levin, Itchemeyer Levin, and stuff, an interesting story. He was a grandson of the initial rabbi of Alexander, Chanach Heinech. Not the Danziger family, but the Levins. He was the rabbi during the interregnum period of the Chilusha Rem Nesvas Emes. For those who are not so malumid by Hasidus, so when the Hasidus started, it was a big rebellion against the normal order of Jewish life <coughs> in Eastern Europe. And as it spread, as it um, became dominant in many areas, it lost that kind of um, antinomian, that kind of uh, revolutionary appeal. And it became stratified, some would say stultified, and became a different kind of a movement. It's not for now to get into all the details of that, but there was certainly a change from the early Hasidic masters to, in the 1700s, to the 1800s. But there was a further rebellion against this sort of um, rebelhood, tzaddikhood, that Hasidim had become in the 1800s. And that was led by Simchabunim of Pshischa and his followers, including Menachem Mendel of Kotz, the Kotzker. And 
again, it's not for now to get into all the levels of this story. But when the Kutzker passed away, so many of the of the Hasidim decided to follow the first Gerav of Chidush Yarim. Chidush Yarim, when he passed away, so he didn't have anybody to take over from his children. They had passed away. In the end, his grandson took over his Fas Emes. But there was a period of time where, where there was no Rebbe. Right? The Fas Emes was a little kid itself, spawning numerous stories and legends. But again, not for now. But the Hasidim at that time needed a Rebbe. So they went to follow Chanach Henech, who's also a student of the Kotzka and a student of the Chedusha Arim. And he was the rabbi, the um, the period, the interregnum period, until the Svas Emes became rabbi. So his grandson, Itchemar Levin, marries the Imamis's daughter and sort of brings those families together. And he was a representative, the permanent representative, I think, while he was alive, of Ger in the Knesset, whenever they had a seat. He said. We're not going to get into the exact lashon of what he said, but the uh, the more uh, appropriate version for now of what he said was in effect that one cannot say it is incongruous to suggest that the land of Israel and the Medina Sisro since 1948 is under the Samach Mem is under Samuel, but the years between 1939 and 1945 of the Holocaust, that that was Yad Hashem. And we'll leave it on that point. But on the other side of the spectrum, the more people who are closer to the Dati Lumi way of thinking are saying, you don't see the Yad Hashem, you're waiting for open miracles. There haven't been open miracles in thousands of years. But we have a Gemara, the Gemara tells us in Sahendra, in Sadi Ches, the Gemara tells us based upon a Pasuk in Yecheskel, the Atem, Hari Yisrael, Ad Bechem Titenu, Uperichem Tisu, Laami Yisrael. The Pasuk tells us that, and the Gemara says, that ain't Lechor Ketz Migum There is no greater sign of redemption than when the land gets turned back on. We know. Now, when the Jewish people are not in the land of Israel, the land is desolate and fallow. We know that for thousands of years, the land of the river to the sea was effectively barren. We know, we heard that we read the travelogue from Mark Twain in the late 1800s, traveling from Lebanon to through Eretz Yisrael to Yerushalayim, there's nothing there. He says it is barren, it is desolate, nothing grows. It's a land, it's a dreamland. It's a land, he says, that is missing. Anything and everything. And today, one of the problems after October 7th of all of the of the settlements along the Gaza Strip, all the tomatoes are rotting. All the vegetables, nobody's picking them. What do you mean, vegetables rotting? This is a problem. How do you have vegetables in Eretz Israel? There's no greater sign of the redemption than when the land of Israel gets turned back on. Because the land remembers and it stays off when the Jewish people are not there. I would like to conclude with a Gemara. 
The Gemara is in Mi'ilan Daf Yud Zayin, Amar Alch and Amar Beis. Amazing Gemara. The Gemara says that there was a rabbi, his name was Rabbi Reuven ben Ishtabayli. Rabbi Reuven ben Ishtabayli was Mesaper Kumi. He took like a Geisha haircut. I don't know if that's like a step or a mohawk, whatever the kind of haircuts that the Romans had in those days. He took a Zah haircut. Why? The Gemara says he took such a haircut because they had made a Gezerah. A Gezerah against Shabbos, against Mila, and against Silchas Nido. And Rabbi Reuven ben Ishtabayli took on a Geisha haircut to go be a turncoat, to go pretend that he's really on the Roman side and not a rabbi, not a member of the Chazal. And when he gets in there to the Romans, he says to them, listen, you guys have it wrong. What do you mean? He says to the Romans, you hate the Jewish people, yes? So if you hate them, why are you making them work on Shabbos? Let them not work on Shabbos so they won't make so much money. They said, yeah, it's a good idea. And then he says to the Romans, you want them to be strong or weak? What does Brismil do to a person's body? It causes them to be weaker. Some people even die. You want them to do Brismil. You want them to have weaker bodies. They say, you're right. They says, you don't want them to keep Hilchas Nida. You want let them, God, be angry at them. Let them have problems. Let them be Chayav Let them have all these issues. He says, he says you want them to, to not keep Hilchas Nida. Let them keep Hilchas Nida. They'll have less children this way. So all of these things are accepted by the Romans. And they knock off all the gazeras. And, and as a result, the Jews are very happy. But then somebody tells the Romans that this Rebbe Reuven, Minister Burley, is not a Roman. He's really a Jewish person from Chazal. He's one of the rabbis. And he tricked you. So they put all the gazeras back in place. And the Gemara that I'm quoting now starts basically over here. This is the context. The Gemara says, what should we do? So the Mar says, we should send Rabshim Bayachai. We should send Rashbi because he is Melumid Benisim. He somehow knows how to get things going in a miraculous way. So the Gemara says, okay, good idea. And they send him together with the Blessed Brenner Biasi. Itself, a whole context of the Mar I'm not going to get into now. But the Blessed Brenner Biasi goes along with Rashbi to go see what they could do about getting rid of this Gezerah. The Gemara says at the end, and this is how we have lines that appear a couple times in Shasta. says, I saw when I was in Rome, right? The Gemara says in Yuma Nunzayin about the Nunzayin Amun Aleph, about the Kamatipa's Dam on the Parochas, which has a reference potentially for Azor Sadam. And also the Gemara in Shabbos and Sam of Gimel, the Gemara there says about the Tzitz, whether it said Kurdish Lashem in one Shur or two Shurs. This is a fantastically interesting side topic in relation to archaeology and halacha, whether or not these things that people saw in Rome are in fact, therefore, the halacha must follow. For example, the Rambam doesn't agree with her blessed Brenner Basie, what he saw in Rome about the tzitz. Why is, again, an unfortunate side topic we can't get into right now. But there is a separate side topic. Again, we can't get into it now which is the belief, widespread belief among many of the from people today that the Vatican is holding all the treasures from the Mesa Mikdash. It's because of this Gemara. I saw in Rome the Parachas. I saw in Rome the Tzitz. I saw in Rome all of these objects, these relics from the Mesa Mikdash. Well, if they were in Rome then, they're probably in Rome now. That's what people think. Again, we can't get into more of these tangential points. But back to the Gemara. Says the Gemara. 
that they're on the way to Rome. And Ben Tamliyon, who was a demon, he was a shade, comes. And he says to Rashbi, that you want me to go with you to help you on the trip, help you with this uh, gezerah? And the Gemara says, Bocha Rashbi. The, the, the response of Rashbi to Ben Tamliyon offering his services, he started to cry. Says the Gemara, he cried and cried and he said, Shivcha Abba, the, the maidservant, Hagar, in the Zayda's house, in the Tata's house, in Avram Avinu's house, Hagar was Nigla, the Malach Hashem, three times to her. Again, can't get into the details now on whether or not it was three times, but that's the way Rashbi explains it. That the Malach Hashem was Nigla to Sarah three times there in Pashas Lechelcho when she ran away. And the Gemara says that Rashbi says that I'm just getting a demon. I'm just getting a shade. <laughs> when this maidservant, when she got something so amazing, when she got something so wondrous, like a Malach Hashem coming to talk to her. So she, he, he nevertheless says the Gemara that Rashbi responds to the shade and he says, he says to the shade, then He says, we're going to take the shade because we need the miracle regardless of how it comes. And together they go to Rome. Rashbi, Rebeleza ben Rabiesi, and Ben Tamliyon and the shade. And they get to Rome and Ben Tamliyon goes and possesses the emperor's daughter. And Rashbi advertises himself like some sort of holistic healer. And he gets access to the emperor's daughter and he convinces Ben Tamlian to leave her. And as a result, the emperor says, my storerooms, my treasure rooms, they're all open to you. Whatever you want, just take. And so they go and they look for the gazera that they're not allowed to keep Elchus Nida. And they're not allowed to keep Shabbos and not allowed to keep Mila. And they go rip up the gazera, and the Jewish people live happily ever after. Good Shabbos.